listening to Connection Church's podcast. We've got some slides as we've been doing with the other religions that I want to put up here and be able to talk to you about. Um, as we look at Islam, uh, we look at God and they believe God is a singular unity, no partner to be associated with God. This is a huge deal for them. Um, as it is for us. One of the things that they have against Christianity is they say that Christianity is polytheistic because we believe in the Trinity. Of course, we don't believe in more than one God. We believe in the Godhead, um, three specific um, personalities, but one God. Um, and so uh, that's what we believe. That's one of the differences in Christianity and Islam. The next slide shows us this, that sin is thought of in terms of, reject, uh, of rejected right guidance. It can be forgiven through repentance. And this is big, this, last, this next sentence, no atonement is necessary. So that God can basically, if you go back to that um, first message we preached on Hinduism, you can understand why this is an issue is because there's no way that sin is punished, but there's just simply repentance that um, brings forgiveness. So this, this telling God, I'm sorry, then um, he's forgiven. But sin in Islam is never punished um, unless the person goes to hell, all right? Um, the next one is Jesus. Um, the standard for salvation is having one's good deeds outweigh the bad. So just like Hinduism, just like Buddhism, this is a religion of merit. It's a, a religion that, uh, where you try to stack up more good chips than bad chips. Uh, hopefully you get more good than bad. And hopefully um, Allah, uh, their one true God, would let you in. The thing about it is that there are passages in the Quran that teach us that God is merciful, um, that talks of his mercy, but it is a subjective mercy. And so that what can happen is you still do more good than bad. You could live a nearly perfect life and Allah still determine that you should not come into paradise. So there's really no security of salvation in this. The next slide, the death of Christ. According to Islamic tradition, Jesus did not die on the cross. Instead, he went to heaven, um, and Judas died in his place on the cross. Muslims believe that it's disrespectful to believe that God would allow one of his prophets, and especially one of the most honored of the prophets, to be crucified. And so that's definitely, obviously, a big difference in Islam and Christianity. Uh, the next slide, the Bible, um, or their holy book, um, our holy book to them is corrupted. It's abrogated by the Quran. When I was talking to Ab Abdullah, um, one of the things that he said was that the Torah, meaning the Jewish text, the Jewish scriptures, and the Bible, um, all of them had been corrupted. And so as we look at that, uh, the thing that I began to realize as I talked with him was that everybody else's holy text had been corrupted except the Quran. And so I asked him, I said, so everybody else has got messed up somewhere along the way but the Quran is correct. And he said, yes. And I just said, that's convenient, right? And, um, and because it was like everybody else got messed up, even though they don't know when and they don't know how um, it all got messed up. Is that the last slide? Nod. Okay, yes it is. Um, and uh, so when we look at this, there's some basic beliefs. They believe uh, that as you come to faith in Christ, uh, or as you come to faith in God, um, that, that you make this statement that makes you uh, saying that there is only one God. Um, he is Allah. 
Um, and, and that brings you into this, this uh, Islamic faith. And so um, as we look at this, I want you to begin to see some of these differences um, with Christianity. There's four of them that I really want to hit today. Um, and I hope we can get to all of them because they're, they're all important. Uh, again, I love the, the, this, the thought of reaching Muslims. My conversation with Abdullah was incredible. I want to talk a little bit more about that as we get into the word. But I definitely want to get into God's word now and look at some of the things that we believe. Um, and so as you look at Romans chapter 8, everybody there? We're going to begin, we're going to try to go through uh, verses 1 through 15 today. All right. Um, so why don't we pray and then let's jump into this and let's begin to um, explore some of the b beliefs that we have, which is interesting. Um, us teaching out of the book of Romans today would be offensive to Muslims because it was written by Paul. Um, they believe that Paul was a false apostle, um, one who came in and basically messed up uh, scripture, messed up Jesus's teachings. Um, they do believe in all the miracles of Jesus. They believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. All of these things um, they, they believe. They just don't believe um, that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. Um, it's interesting to me that they believe all of these other things about Christ, but when it comes to that, that's not what they believe. Their holy book, as you've heard me refer to, is the Quran, and they also rely heavy on what's called the Hadith, which is um, Jesus, or I keep getting those confused, uh, that is uh, Muhammad's life and them teaching, their teachings of Muhammad that were recorded by the people who were closest to him, so the Quran and the Hadith. As we look at this, though, let's begin, let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word and see what God has for us. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time together. God, I thank you for the, the way we're able to come to you. God, we're able to come into your presence and we're able to simply be with you. God, I, just as I hear the, the air conditioner right now blowing cool air on us, I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would blow refreshing upon us, that you would show us the supremacy of Christ in all things. God, today we would leave with a awe and wonder of the way you've brought us to yourself. I pray for those who may be far from you right now that they would see that while Christianity is considered an exclusive religion because it makes exclusive claims that it's inclusive in its invitation and that all people can come to you, God. Lord, speak to our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, nine o'clock, we usually have a lot more parents uh, than maybe at the uh, or 11 o'clock. So how many of you in here right now, you have children, you have children. Um, yeah, good many hands. How many of you one day hope to have children? You hope you'll have children one day. Amen. <laughs> Let's all laugh at them real quick. Because <laughs> um, man, there's nothing like being a parent that teaches you about life. Uh, and there's nothing like being a parent that you love more than anything, but that sometimes can frustrate you like nothing else as well. And uh, man, we love my, my boys, but there are times when they can be very stubborn. If you've been a parent, uh, you realize that this sinful nature that we talk about a lot, it doesn't take long for it to appear. Uh, and, and, and in my children, it's no different just because they're PKs, right? Preacher's kids doesn't make them immune to the sinful nature. Um, sometimes I think it heightens it, right? And uh, so one of the things though that I found is that parents use different kind of, of uh, ways of trying to entice their children to do things. Have you ever noticed that? That like parents will be like, listen, if you'll just hush right now, right now, because you're in a public place now, like, ah, right? 
or they're running around crazy, and you're like, if you'll just hush right now, we'll go get an ice cream after this. Come on, how many of you have ever tried to bribe your kids? Don't lie, don't lie, right? Some of you have been bribed. If you don't have children, you were bribed as a child. Um, others of us will do this. If you don't stop that right now, if you don't stop that right now, and then we'll say, all right, I'm going to count to three. And if you don't stop that, and we keep going, right? I'm going to count to 142. And if you don't, and so it's like one, two, three. All right, you're getting it now, mister, right? And we go after them or whatever. And then uh, the, the other one that I think about with me, especially in the mornings when we're trying to get out the door and we're trying to get our children going, is I'll just do this. I'll say, all right, boys, go brush your hair, go brush your teeth. I don't know why that's such a hard thing, you know, right? Let's just go get this done. Let's go. We got to get to school. You know you're going. We've done this every morning of just about all of your life. And so you know you're going. And so I'll do that. And then it's like, there's no movement. And that drives me crazy. And so what I'll do is I just turn around and in a very loving way. I say, now, right? And I say, now, and they know like, gone, gone, right? And so they get up and they start moving. Um, and, and, and when I say now, here's the thing that I want you to see is I don't mean tomorrow. I don't mean in five minutes. I don't mean next week or next month. I mean like at this moment, like get those feet moving right? At least show me some, some effort that you're trying to do this. And, and, and I say that because I want you to hear this first scripture that we're going to read. It says, therefore, and whenever you read therefore, this is old preacher saying, but whenever you read therefore, it's talking about what's before the text. And so basically what Paul's saying is therefore, the statement he's about to make, he can make this statement because of everything he's already said. And this therefore refers to Romans 1 through Romans 7. And so when we look at this, we see what we talked about in that first message with Hin in, of Hinduism that he preaches and teaches in this text about the justification that we receive by faith. You remember that when we come to faith in Christ, we're justified. It's as if we've never sinned. It's even more than a pardon of just overlooking sin. Sin has been punished in Christ so that we can now be set free and live for God. And so when we look at Romans 1 through 7, that's what Paul's referring to in this therefore, that we can be made right with God by faith in Christ. It's, it's the greatest news that's ever been given to man. And it says in Romans 1, 8, 1, it says, therefore, there is what? Now, now, <laughs> see what I'm saying? Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because those, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And so what I want you to see is this. I want you to understand that right now, if you're in Christ, not tomorrow, not once you get things cleaned up, not once it's all put back together again, if you are in faith in Christ, right now, there is no condemnation for you. What is condemnation? It's the opposite of justification. It's that, that, that the fact that our sin remains, that our sin deserves to be condemned, that our sin deserves judgment. I want you to hear this and I want you to understand this, that the greatest news that ever, has ever entered the ears of mankind is the fact that now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And see, it's a huge deal because before Christ, we all deserve to be condemned. After Christ, there's no condemnation that remains. And Paul goes on and tells us this, and notice that this is in Christ. See, apart from Christ, we still deserve condemnation. We still deserve judgment. Why? Because our sins have not been punished. But by faith in Christ, 
Our sins are punished in Christ on the cross so that you and I can be made right with him. This is what Paul's wanting us to see. This is what Paul's wanting us to understand. How many of you today, I just want to ask this question. This is on my heart yesterday. I want to ask you this. How many of you today in some area of your life feel this tinge of condemnation? Can we be honest? I mean, most of the time we do the altar call at the end, but you're feeling this tinge of condemnation. Maybe it's about a relationship. Maybe it's about um, some kind of uh, something that you did. Maybe you just feel dirty because of something that's happened to you, a choice that you've made. But somewhere, somehow, some way, you're walking in some form of condemnation. Would you be willing to admit that today? That today we need to hear some good news about condemnation, about what God has done for us in this area. See, it scares me when someone doesn't see anything in their life that should be condemned. But it also scares me when we walk around in condemnation because it robs us of the joy and the life that God wants us to have. And ultimately, it robs him of the glory that he wants us to demonstrate and to show. And so here's where we come to. Is that in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when we clean it up, not once we have done enough good things, but now. See, this is a huge difference in Islam and Christianity. That we have been forgiven, that sin has been taken away, that sin no longer remains. And where sin no longer remains, there is no longer any need for judgment. Where there's no need for judgment, there is no need for condemnation. And so we can walk in a relationship with Jesus. Does that speak to you? Does that speak to your heart? Does that mean anything to you today? That you have no condemnation before God, even with the worst mistakes that you've made. If you are in Christ, listen, you have no condemnation before God. I brought these two things, three things, four things with me today because I wanted to show you how many people live their lives. I choose stupid little things to try to demonstrate things to you, I know, but maybe you can remember some of these things. See, some of us are walking in condemnation today, because we've never come to a place where we're in Christ. And so if this cup that's in here is representative of your life, here's the reality. The tenfold is like sin in your life. And so here's the the problem. The sin is covering all of your life. There is absolutely no way that God can pour himself into you because there's a barrier between you and him called sin. He is a holy God. He can't be in the presence of sin. We have no access to God because of the sin in our life. just in condemning us. Why? Because we have rebelled against him and against his love that he's tried to pour out in our lives. And so here we are, and this is as if God were still trying to draw you. He's given, listen, he has given you all of the, the word of God. He's given you the sunrise. He's given you the sunset. He's given you the tides. He's given you everything in life to try to draw you to him. He's put people in your life who've shared. Maybe for you today, it was just being drugged here by your wife. Guess what? As much as you may have hated that, as much as you would have rather been turkey hunting, here's the good news. God may have used your wife today to get you here to realize something that you need more than another turkey. Right. Go buy you a butterball. Right, I love turkey hunting, but I'm telling you, this is better, this is better. And so the sin is literally this barrier. In the Old Testament, the temple had a veil that separated the holy um, place from the holy of holies. People couldn't go into the presence of God because they knew that our sin is so much. If they went in, it was one man, one time a year on the day of atonement, would go in and put blood on, on the altar. And it was the blood that he had to shed or that had to be shed and that had to be spread in there so that he wouldn't die because of his sin. And so we see that sin separates us from God. Romans 5, I believe it's 16 or 17, maybe 5, 6, tells us that it only takes one trespass to separate us from the love of God. 
And so we see this, that our, our sin has become a barrier so that no matter, I mean, I don't even have to pour this, right? No matter how much I pour, I can't get anything in there. No matter how much the life of God has tried to bring me to himself, I can't get any of it in there. Why? Because sin has separated me from God. And so I'm walking in condemnation, and rightly so, because my sin deserves condemnation. And see, here's the other scenario. Here's another one. Some of us have come to Christ. Our life was made pure, right? Clear, clean. And here's the thing, we're in Christ and there's no condemnation for us. But the reason that we're feeling distant from Christ is because we've gone the wrong direction. Instead of the cup being right side up, we've turned it upside down. And so what begins to happen is we begin to move away from God and we begin to get distant from God. And you know, one of the things that I noticed when I was a child is that whenever I would decide that I was going to kind of slip off from the house, the further I got, the less and less I could hear my, my, my parents when they called. The less if my dad came out and called for me, the less I could hear him until finally, if I went far enough, I no longer heard his voice. My fear is that some of us are in danger of getting so far away from God that we barely hear his voice. The good news is that even though we're hardened of heart and our, the veil has come over our eyes, the good news is this, that when we turn around and we say, God, I need you, then we repent of our sin, meaning that we turn back to him, turning to Christ, because repentance is not just turning from something, it's turning to something. When we turn around, he's right there. Like he doesn't go anywhere. I've experienced this in my own life. When I ran as far as I thought I could run and I turned around, he was right there. We can't outrun him. But when the direction of our life is going the wrong way, he can be trying to get our attention. He can be trying to pour his love into our life, into our heart. And yet there's no way to receive it. Why? Because I'm running from him. I'm going the wrong way. And yet God has been called the hound of heaven. Why? Because he pursues people. He goes after people. He never quits coming after us. You heard Wally's on testimony. I was just just going after truth. I was just seeking truth. I just wanted truth. And guess what? God was seeking Wally. And when Wally was willing to receive it, God came into his heart and changed his heart and gave him a faith that even though it cost him his whole life, he was willing to take it. Why? Because the riches of Jesus are better than the riches that this world can offer us. That's what God does and that's what he gives us. Here's a third reality that many of us, we're, we're trying to pursue, we're coming after God. Our heart is for him and we're going after him. And so we're not going the wrong direction. We're not trying to turn from him. We haven't rebelled against him. But the problem for us is that we have erected a barrier that no longer exists. I've talked about this one before. It's as if we just put cellophane over the top of our lives and we begin to keep God from being able to pour anything in. See, I cannot receive the love of God when this is there. See, that veil that I talked about in uh, the Old Testament, it, the Bible says that at the moment that Jesus died on the cross, it says that the veil was torn from top to bottom. What that symbolizes is that once and for all, sin was removed. It means that once and for all, that barrier between us and God was torn apart so that we can now come fully and completely and confidently into God's presence to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy in our time of need. How many of you are in a time of need right now where, where people are hurting, people are desperate, people are needy, but this God, this father, this loving God of ours sent his son to tear the veil, to remove the sin so that you and I can come into his presence so that you and I don't have to walk in condemnation. We don't have to walk in this, this spiritual um, oppression. We can walk in freedom. That's 
That's the word that's been in my heart all week long, is that we can walk in freedom. We can walk in the freedom of Christ. What does that mean? We're going to see some of these later. But the first of this is we can walk free of condemnation. Free of condemnation. It goes on. I want to give you these four ways real quick. The first one is what we're looking at right here, that uh, Islam and Christianity differ because Islam has no, uh, no atonement. Condemnation remains. I talked to Abdullah, I told you about him. I, I had a conversation with him. He had used a reference to the courtroom trying to argue a case for Islam. I was talking with him. We're standing in the middle of a Somali market thinking anytime somebody might come up and like take me out, you know. We're standing there, I'm talking to him. Uh, and and I, I, so I, I felt like the Lord said, ask him about repentance. And so I said, well, tell me, um, how do you uh, find forgiveness of sins? And he said, we repent. And I said, well, tell me about your repentance. He said, well, the first thing that we do is that we have to go and we tell God that we are sorry. And I said, okay, what, what's that? What do you do? I mean, he just said, we just tell him we're sorry. And he said, the second thing that we have to do is we have to cry over our sin. We have to be very remorseful. And I said, okay, uh, is that it? And he said, no, there's one more thing. I said, what is it? He said, we have to promise we'll never do it again. How many of you have ever been there, right? Oh, I won't ever do it. God, just get me out of this one situation. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. And it don't work, right? And so when he said that, I felt like what the Lord said is well, take that to the courtroom. And so I just said, okay, Abdullah, let me ask you this. If I were to go and, and say I committed a crime, let's say that here I stole some of your stuff, which I never would do, right? But let's say I stole some of your stuff. You caught me, you pressed charges and I go and I stand before the judge. And let's say that, that, that I told the judge, judge, listen, I'm really sorry that I stole the stuff. I didn't mean to steal it. And, and then I said, judge, you know, I'm so sorry that <laughs> I'm crying over it, right? And, and, and I'm just crying over my sin and I'm crying over um, what I've done to you and I'm crying over it. And then I said, and judge, not only am I, am I telling you I'm sorry and not only am I crying over my sin, but judge, I'm also, man, I'm also uh, just promising you I'll never do it again. Not as long as I live. I said, what's the judge gonna do? He's still gonna say guilty. And I said, I would be guilty before the judge I said, I am guilty before the judge apart from Christ. And so are you. And I'm like, I don't know why I just said that in the middle of a Somali market, right? But to a Muslim. But we had this great conversation. And I noticed that every time I would say something that kind of hit him, he would hit his hand on the table and get louder and change the subject. And that's what he did at that moment. Because the reality of it is, if we're not made right, if we're not justified by faith in Christ, it's the only religion that offers us a way to be made right with God where sin is still punished so that God can remain just. And so I want you to see that. I want you to understand it. The second one, and you see this in Romans 8 as well. The second one is that in Romans 8, we also see, as you look through uh, verses 5 through 7, that those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. And so I want you to see in this that God again begins to change our desires. See, nothing externally that, that, that affects us just externally can change us to the point where we want to live differently, that our nature literally changes. The Bible teaches us that he gives us a new heart. We saw this in Buddhism, that God gives us a new heart, a new way of living. As you look at the rest of this text, skip on down to verse 12. It says, therefore, brothers, 
we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. See, there's a new obligation and there's a new motivation. What is it? It's that Jesus paid the price for my sin so that I could be free, that I could be whole, that I could be reconciled and right with God. For if you live according to the sinful nature, he puts it plainly, you will die. But if the spirit, by the spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Who puts to death the misdeeds of the body? You do it, but by the power of the spirit of God. He says, because those, and listen to this, because those who are led by the spirit, in other words, those who by the spirit put to death the misdeeds. And see so what happens is when he begins to change us, we begin to desire more of him. We begin to put to death the misdeeds of the body by the power of the spirit as we call on him. And so he's saying, because uh, those who are led by the spirit of God are what? Are what? Y'all help me read that. Are sons of God or daughters of God. That we become the children of God. See, the second, the third thing that Islam does not offer us is a father. If you look at the prayer beads of, in Islam, there's 99 prayer beads. There's 99 names of God. The one that's missing is father because he never reveals himself as father. But God says, you have a father. And listen to this. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, basically fear of judgment, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. And so what he's telling us is not only did he give us his son, but when he gave us his son, he gave us a way of righteousness. And when we put our faith in him, he makes us right. And not only that, he adopts us into the family. We become one of his. And so he becomes our father, our loving father. And he brings us in and we become his son. We become his daughter. We're brought into this family of God. See, in Islam, there is no concept of a loving father. There is no concept that God brings us into his family. The fourth one, verse 17, now if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. He's saying, once you become into the family, you become an heir. And the promise of God is that you receive what God has for you. That God has himself, number one, waiting for you. We get to experience him now. One day we'll experience him in all of his glory. But he's saying also everything that's his will one day be yours. See, there's this eternal security. The fourth thing is eternal security. Because in Islam, there is no eternal security. I told you, there is mercy. There's mention of mercy. Everybody wants to know, is Islam violent? Listen, if you read the, the Quran, there's a lot of violent verses. You want a platform for violence? It's there. You want a platform to find some verses about mercy? It's there. But the reality of it is that the only thing that the Quran speaks of as giving you eternal security is if you die fighting the infidel. Otherwise, it's up to Allah. There's no eternal security. Yet in Christ, we know that our sin debt has been paid. And the Bible says that it is his spirit that comes into us and gives us this assurance. Have you received the spirit of God that teaches you, that proclaims to you that you are his child? And see, many of us do this, many of us come back to this and, and we've done something or something's happened and we've put this over our lives. 
And then listen, man, it's even hard for me in my mind at times to reconcile to myself. How is this so with some of the things I see in life? How can faith in Christ, how does it just, how does it just remove that veil? How, how even after we're Christians, does this not uh, somehow get clogged up or covered over? But the reality of it is that now there's no condemnation in Christ. That now... So no matter where we've been, if we are in Christ, we can come to God. It's the greatest news that we don't have to live separated from his presence, from an intimate relationship with a loving father. Many of us have a jacked up understanding of what a father is because of our earthly fathers. Let's be honest, every father, including myself, falls short of a perfect father. I am by far not a perfect father. And the reality of it is that, that, that we, we sometimes take the ideas that we learn from our earthly fathers, transpose them on God, and that's how we see God. But the reality of it is also that you have a perfect heavenly father who invites you to call him Abba, an intimate Jewish name for, for uh, daddy. He invites you to call him daddy. And I know as men, sometimes we're like, well, I ain't gonna call him daddy. You know, sometimes you wanna crawl up in his lap. And here it's okay. It's okay. I had somebody tell me one time, you know what, you're okay. I was like, I was way okay way before you told me. Because I'm okay with him. See, one of the things I've struggled the most with is this, is this condemnation is this recognition of this eternal security. It's this recognition of God as a loving father. It's, it's this understanding that God's changing my heart and he's changing me and I'm a work in progress. I'm not a project that's just finished. I'm a work in progress. I'm in process of becoming like Christ. One of the things that's been so hard for me and so difficult for me is coming to this reality that I, there's no condemnation for me and not letting other people impose condemnation on me. It's hard for me. Because the reality of it is people say things to us that one, are cruel, right? That are hurtful. Some of us are doing that to our spouses and we should stop. People make us feel condemned. I had a, a preacher one time, he told me, he said, if you ever wanna pastor a church, you're gonna have to preach better. For years, every time I preached a message, I'd go home on Sunday afternoon, it was never good enough. Why do you think that was? Because in the back of my mind, I'll never preach good enough. I'll never do a good enough job. I'll never be good enough. And many of us live with those types of performance-based understandings of God's love. That if I perform well, I'm loved. If I don't, I'm not. The problem with it is when we base our love of God off of our performance, we put the lid back on the cup. We erect a barrier that Jesus tore apart. And so we put it there. We can't receive God's love because we put a barrier there that no longer exists. And so many of us, we, we, we don't receive his love. And the problem with it is we'll never obey him if we don't love him. And we'll never love him if we aren't consistently receiving his love. The Bible teaches that. If you love me, obey my com you'll obey my commands. But he also says this, we love God because he first loved us. And so if we're not receiving his love, how can we possibly walk in it? How can we possibly share it? Well, we're, we're in this place where I'm not a good enough mom. And the dishes are dirty, clothes aren't washed, 
dirt on the floor, the dog pooped in the corner. Can't keep it all together. All these plates spinning, and when one falls, you feel like, man, it's, I'm, I'm worthless. See, condemnation tells you that you're worthless, that you're no good, and that you never will be. Condemnation does not seek to hinder you. It seeks to completely destroy you. And we walk in that. For some of us, it's, it's, it's past promiscuity, sexual immorality, things we've done in the past, maybe past drug use, maybe current drug use, maybe something that's really struggling. I told you the word that's been in my heart all week is freedom, freedom, freedom in Christ. Jesus said himself, he quoted Isaiah 61.1, and he said that he had come to set the captives free, to bring liberty to those who have been held captive to bind up the brokenhearted. See, that's what God does. That's what Jesus does. When we grab hold of him and we allow him to begin to pour his love in us, it begins to come out of our life. It begins to overflow, as John 7 says, like rivers of living water. It affects our actions. It affects our, our love for other people. It affects every area of our life and it begins to transform every area of our life. It affects the atmosphere around us. Are you walking in that love? Dads, dads, listen, we, 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 we hammer ourselves if we're not good enough. Until for many, this is what we've done. We finally said, I can't measure up, heck with it. I tell you, come back, take another look, receive the love of God, realize that nothing is so far gone that God's love can't reach down to touch it. That God's love can't reach down to redeem to save. Where are you walking in this lie of condemnation if you are in Christ? Let me ask you this, is this your life? Clothed in sin rather than the righteousness of Christ. Do you need to come to a place of faith in Jesus so that this can be taken off, so that it can then be made pure, clean, able to receive the love and the grace of Jesus. See, we can't receive it until we finally yield to it, until we finally say yes. He's knocking on the door of some of our hearts. The question is, will I say yes to his invitation to be made right with him? Will I say yes to the greatest news that's ever been heard? I say yes to him. Today, if you know your life is like this, but you would say, I. I wanna come into this place of life in God. I wanna come into this place of right relationship with Jesus. And this is what I'd ask you to do right here, right now, now, right? Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not when you get your stuff together, but when God calls. And if God is calling, then I'm encouraging you to say yes to him right now. Today is the day of salvation, right now. So I'm asking you, you're here today, and that's you. Would you stick your hand up in the air? Just, just let, us, let, us, let us know. Let us celebrate. Amen. Hands going up. Yes. You say yes to a relationship with Jesus. Amen. If you raise your hand, listen, 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 listen. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to take another step. I'm going to ask you that you would let us pray with you. Would y'all mind doing that? Would you let us pray with you? Would you uh, just go over here to my right, right over here. There's going to be a door. Miss Beth is coming right here. She's going to show you where to go. We want to pray with you. We want to help you take those next steps. Let's celebrate. 
If somebody doesn't grab you, if you'll just, if you'll just go get up and start walking this way, there'll be people to meet you, okay? There'll be people to meet you. Listen, 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 listen. This is the life that God wants for us, not turned upside down, not walking away, but upright and being filled with the power of God. You know the thing about it, that cup is wanting to float in the water that I've already poured. But the reality of it is when we're full of the love of God, he becomes an anchor to us, a foundation in our lives so that the wind and the rain may come, but we're not shaken, we don't fall. The next thing I'd like to do is I'd like to ask you, you know, you're here and, and there's something that's just that's hindering you. Man, I don't know what it is. Maybe some form of condemnation that's hindering you. I'm going to ask you that, that when I pray in just a second, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. I'm going to ask you just to get out of your seat. And you come to the front. There's something you're struggling with. Maybe there's something that just haunts you from your past. Listen, we're a church. I was talking with somebody yesterday about how the church should be the one place that's okay to not be okay. Right? Something that's just struggling. It's just, just bothering you. It's just, man, it's just eating at you. I want to pray for you. Listen, Jesus came to set the captives free. Jesus came that we could have liberty. Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. We have other folks that will pray with you, that would love to be able to minister the Spirit of God with you, to you. Amen. So when I pray, you move. I pray you move. I pray you come. Let us pray for you. Something that's hindering you from receiving God's love. Something hindering you from walking in freedom. We want to pray. That's why we're here. That's why we started this. It's so that people can meet Christ and so that people who are in Christ can walk in freedom and grow in his likeness. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for hearts that need to be touched by your love and your grace. I pray, God, that today we would come into that, that we would take a step of faith and trust, God, that when we step towards you, you step towards us. You tell us that we'll draw near to you. You'll draw near to us. And so, God, today we draw near. God, I rebuke every spirit of condemnation that would come against your children. I rebuke every spirit of condemnation. Lord, let us be living in the freedom for which you died to give us. Turn our eyes to you, Lord, and don't let us move them. God, give us, uh, those of us who, who are in you, let us walk and let us feed that new nature that we can be set free to live for you. God, set us free. Let us walk in your presence and your peace and your grace. No matter what others think or say or do, let us follow you with sincere hearts, knowing that you'll guide us into all truth. And you'll lead us to the right places, the right time. God, now we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.